G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Wind Against Tide and it's that time of year, it's Christmas time yep. and what day is it? It's uh, Tuesday today, we've yep, got Christmas Tuesday. in a couple of days I reckon, a couple of days and I'm getting very excited for all the rods and reels and fishing stuff Adrian's going to get me. <laughs> Whatever Dave. I can already see them behind me, Ooh, shiny yep. gold reels. No, thanks guys for listening to last week and um, if you thanks for the uh, likes and comments and thanks for subscribing and if you haven't subscribed, subscribe now. Yeah, we had a um, bit of an uptick last week after we had Dom Gillow aboard. So yeah. really accessed the uh, gangster followers. <laughs> so welcome aboard, gangster followers. And unfortunately this week we're following up with Joseph Fernand. Yeah, we got Joey back. Joey, welcome back, buddy. Oh. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. I'm I'm actually really, really excited to be here today. I did not sleep last night thinking about how much fun we were going to have on this special Christmas edition of Wind Against Tide podcast. Look at us, we've got wacky hats on and everything. I just don't know what to say to that, Joey. I've never had anyone so excited. I was excited at 4am, 4am. I was like up, I'm just like, oh my gosh, we've got podcasts with Dave and Adrian today. It's going to be so exciting. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, Christmas stuff and um, fishing about Christmas and most importantly, Christmas food. Tell me boys, what are some of your favourite Christmas foods that you have organised for this Sunday's festive season? Well, I haven't organised anything because I'm secretly hoping Adrian's going to score me a bunch of fresh seafood like he does every year. <laughs> I love that. I love Adrian's fresh seafood connection. Yeah, yeah, I've got some good connections in the seafood industry. Normally I get a couple of cooked uh, craze and prawns and everything. So, And some of it just, some of the slops fall onto my plate. <laughs> they do, they some do. Some of the crayfish and octopus slops. Oh yeah, no, they're good. And kilos of prawns. And well, Speaking of fresh free- seafood scraps, I remember a couple of years ago, the, the the snapper was still going pretty good in Western Port and your leftover lobster scraps and, and my leftover prawn scraps, we took them out fishing on Boxing Day and we caught a lot of snapper burling up with all the crushed up cooked seafood <laughs> scraps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they a love bit of it. fun. It's snapper love a bit of the old uh, shellfish. Actually, apparently lobster's a fantastic uh, bait for snapper. But um, Oh, wow, really? I can't see too many people sacrificing their... <laughs> Lobster or crayfish for for some snapper fillets. Well, they definitely love crabs, so I don't see why they wouldn't love um, a bit of fresh crayfish either. Yes. Look, yeah. I've got to be honest, if you're going to crack a few legs of lobster, I want them to be in my mouth, <laughs> not on a hook. <laughs> oh, my God, Joe. You should have seen the size of the spider crab I caught the other night. You're joking. He didn't was, even take a photo. Yeah, I was so annoyed with it. It was like the size... Of, we thought it was like some giant octopus coming Dude, up. The thing was like this big. It had nippers like this. It did. Like actual claw nipper things. And Adrian was trying to make me put my hand in its nippers, but yeah. to be honest, they look pretty weak. Yeah. They didn't look like powerful claws. No, they're not very powerful looking pincers. <laughs> but yeah. Well, they, they were impressive, Joe. They weren't the little um, hook things. They were, <laughs> What's that? They weren't little. No, they were actual like, proper claws, weren't they, Dave? Yeah. It must have been like a buck spider crab or something. Yeah, like but a big bull. Anyway, as we know from Jonah, they've got no meat in them and they're worthless, so... Hey, I, I just want to share, um, just I've been doing Christmas shopping this week and um, yeah, I was thinking about a, a present to buy one of my, one of my cousins yeah. and um, look, he, he loves eating fish and, and I thought I'll buy something to cook, cook the fish in and 
Guys, can you believe it? Like at the moment, it's all about air fryers at the minute. <laughs> You're cooking it, fish in air fryers, are you? N- no, no, I'm not. But do you question? Do you guys have an air fryer? Nope. Nah. Look, I've got a crap tiny kitchen, and I don't want more appliances in there. <laughs> yep. Look. Anyways, you can uh, air fryers are just crazy popular at the moment. Everyone's got them. You can do absolutely anything in them. You can do fish. You can do beef. You can do chips. You can do any sort of snack frozen food. But it look, it's lovely to cook fish. But anyways, I, my cousin, he wants me to get him a deep fryer for Christmas. And I just did a bit of research on Kmart, kmart.com.au. And wouldn't believe it. Get this, guys. 3.2 litre air fryer. Yeah. How much do you reckon? So what? Do you deep fry in an air fryer? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, deep fryer versus an air fryer. Is oh, it, oh, are you talking about price difference or something? Yeah, like? yeah. Is this a uh, Kmart branded one? No, when this show is not sponsored by Kmart. It's just <laughs> got to do with my personal observation of what <laughs> I think is going to taste better. No, but you're asking me how much the price of this air fryer was. Yeah. Was it from Kmart and was it Kmart branded? Yeah, exactly. I think it was $59. Yeah, good, good <laughs> rating there. <laughs> you ruined it, Dave. Anyways. <laughs> that was point, punchline, Dave. 3.2 litre air fryer. litres turbocharge. (laughs) 3.2 litres. Just just a quick question there. How fast does it go from 0 to 100? I don't know. (laughs) But pretty much, look, the punchline was Kmart sells a 3-litre deep fryer, which in my opinion, like, who cares about things being healthy? Like, if you want to eat fried fish, like... It's got to be just soaked in oil, I believe. Oh, man. So I thought you, this was a pro air fryer, fryer commercial, but <laughs> you're saying deep fryer. I'm just saying, do you yourself a favour. You, you want to have some nice, beautiful uh, fish over Christmas, New Year period. You might, might catch some flake or catch some whiting or catch some flathead. Go out and buy yourself a deep fryer. It's $29 <laughs> from Kmart. Way cheaper than an air fryer. It's going to be way more tastier than yet. Than your air fryer. Okay, Joe. I've and your never, arteries will thank you. I've never owned a deep fryer in my life. I'll just use a normal pan or pot and tip veggie oil in and that's it. Done. Yeah, but then you're left then you have to get rid of your oil again. No, you deep can fryer. strain it back into your um bottle. Mm. Really? Yeah. But that's a lot of mucking around. You know but you know one time we uh reused one bottle of vegetable oil about five nights in a row, didn't we, Dave? <laughs> yeah, when we were camping. Yeah. That was through necessity. It had a lot of flavouring through it by the last cook-up. <laughs> yeah, it was very fishy. But um, you're forgetting with your pricing, the deep fryer, you've got to supply your own oil. Yeah, okay. Coles, vegetable oil, $3.50, Coles branded thing. So, okay, what, $7? Hang You're on. still going to be... On. $3. Hang $3. on, $3.50 is for a, what, a yeah, yeah, 300 ml mil bottle? Yeah, whatever that you're is. You're talking three litres here, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking a commercial quantity, mate. Don't, don't, don't you have to use that hard oil? In deep fryers? You can get super fry that okay. um, blend in animal fats if you want yeah. super tasty fish. Okay. All right. Well, you can use your leftover car oil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do that. You'll probably die. But, yeah, okay. So you're saying uh, deep fryer, artery clogging goodness over air frying. 100% for frying fish, much better. So you talked about what we're preparing for Christmas and is that what you're actually preparing for Christmas, deep fried fish? Yeah, I'm going to okay. buy myself a Kmart air, air fryer. I've got got it's it as a present. Now. Sorry, I've got <laughs> deep fryer. I've got a. I'm going to buy myself a deep fryer. I'm going to fry myself up some fish over this Christmas season. But the most important thing, I've got to get the fish first. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you, you can't get him off us. Yeah, because our last, our fishing over the week has been uh, pretty poor. Yeah. Uh, Adrian's what happened? Kicked it off with. Actually, no, I went before you, didn't I? Yeah, you went the night before me. Oh well, after we had Dom on the podcast, he came out on the boat the next night with Brendan, and we fished the primo tide at the primo part of uh, Western Port for this time of year, and we caught two. Mid four kilo, mid to low four kilo snapper, over a six hour period with primo baits. If you look on the screen there, there's one of them there. There's a seagull about to. Oh, that's a perfectly timed photo. Have a look at that. Yeah, about to get attacked by a seagull. <laughs> so we caught two that size, that and one that was bigger that Brendan wound in for half an hour with all his <laughs> theatrics. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> really like extending the arm and. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Extended theatrics. This is a big fish. Yes. Big fish. It's a big one, guys. I'm like, come on, mate. He's going <laughs> to dive boredom, that fish. And anyway, yeah, so we got two. And then the next night, me and Adrian took Adrian's mate Ches and his grandpa out. Mm. And He caught a big spider crab, I think. It was a boat smack on the spot that I was going to fish. So we moved slightly but marked up some good fish again. Yeah, um, we did. we ended up with absolutely... Zero, and I think that most boats found it quite hard as well. I think I only saw one or two other fish. Yeah, caught. I think uh, Big T outfished us with one fish. So. Yeah, classic. Yeah, Big T Hastings yeah. tackle. Yep, yep. And um, yeah, so that was the two trips I did since the last podcast. And you know what? Though I'm a bit over snapper fishing now. Been you know we've been in the throes of snapper season for a few months now, and I think it's transitional period time. And you and you went out looking for something yeah, different, didn't you? Yeah, I went out of uh, Flinders there again and went all the way around to the back beaches, Gunnamatta, and I guess searched for tuna for about eight or nine hours and didn't really see much. A few scratches on the screen didn't really give me high hopes, but I know there's quite a bit of fish off um, Barwon and yep. off the uh, rip there, so I thought, oh, hey, it might be a chance off the uh, back beaches, but... Oh, you'd think you'd be a very good chance. Yeah. I'm sure there probably is some through there somewhere, but, you know, finding a needle in a haystack sometimes. Yeah. Well, basically I was the only boat out there, so it's mm. not like I'm a bird chirping to other birds saying, here they are. <laughs> yeah. Did you see many mutton birds? No, no nothing out there. Yeah, so that makes, it, that makes it hard too. Like, mm. Well, don't you have a radar on that tinny? <laughs> Got everything else, Jake. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm not, it's kitted out with everything. Like I thought you could just radar up a couple of gannets, you know. Well, there was quite a few uh, gannets and um, terns working on bait balls, but nothing really under them. A few seals and dolphins, but yeah, Look. I find that when the um, gannets and stuff are on bait balls, they're a bit bigger bait, like pilchards and stuff. Yeah, and often that's not what you find the uh, the smaller school tuna on. They're on the the little white bait and stuff. Um, so I can't really recall pulling small fish locally out here off those uh, bigger bait balls. No, I don't think we ever have. They've no. always come off like one bird or or well, just mutton birds in on top a, of them. Yeah, a lot yeah. of mutton birds and stuff, but it's just a yeah, different type of setup happening. Yeah, yeah, there's normally like one or two turns just hovering over the school and that's about it. Look, yep. how exciting is uh, local tuna? They're like, there's, there's nothing better, especially this time of year, you know, you can be in shorts and thongs and a singlet and casting at tuna like that is absolutely world class. Oh, <laughs> I want I wanted to come back so bad. Oh, it's yeah. pretty much yeah. It's it's, well, it's, it's very close, Joe. It's very very close. It's but, quite, um, 
Yeah, it's great when you've got a heavily pregnant wife and you're not allowed to drive anywhere <laughs> further than an hour away from your house. It makes it really good. You can access some fantastic fishing. <laughs> <laughs> it helps when you live by the boat ramp. <laughs> yeah. In fact, last That's year, uh, actually earlier this year, um, we had our, our wedding and the, the <laughs> night before my wedding at 4 p.m. we put the boat in the water. That's and we right. went out and we caught a bunch of tuna on poppers yep. and back in again for all the pre-wedding stuff. They were good fish as well. They were like 25 kilo that day. I yeah. remember that. Fantastic. So, so uh, with your um, tuna fishing, you uh, did some beach launching, Adrian. Yes, yes. It's always um, fun times seeing what you see at uh, Flinders because it's a beach launch. It's not an actual ramp. So because mm. I've got a full drive and just a little boat, I just kind of ram into the water and water's coming through my doors and – that's about it. But what I did see... <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. But what I did see um, when I came back in um, was like a boat um, blocking the entrance onto the beach mm. because it had fallen off the trailer. So here's a picture here. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Elmerk, Blue Bland, love, love and life. Yeah, so I um, went down there and I filmed some stuff. So I'll show you a bit of what we uh, saw there. Just bear with me while I find it. I'm bearing. All right, he's got the anchor winch going and the car and the trailer's chocked. So he's got the anchor hooked over the front of the trailer. Okay. So so basically the trailer's off the car. Yep. And he's chocked the wheels on the trailer so the trailer's not moving. Great. Wait, 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 just <laughs> fast, fast forward back for a second. So well, we just bo- broke Joe. Yeah. No, no, no. The, the boat's off the trailer and the trailer's off the car. Yep. Because his trailer's one of those ones that kind of um, oh, yeah, bend, the, the bend se- up. Your classic yeah. seesaw. Yeah, the seesaw one. So if you put weight from the back, it kind of seesaws it up. So oh, you had wow. to take it off the uh, trailer. Chock I understand. It. And so he chocked the trailer so he tie- so he could tie the boat to the car and drive the boat onto the trailer. Yeah. Also assisted with the uh, anchor winch here. So this is where we're at now. Holy shit, that anchor's going to fly. Stop, stop. Oh, it's so sketchy. That anchor's going to fucking catapult. Through the windshield. (laughs) So dodgy. (laughs) How's the old Mercury? (laughs) Look at the Delco. Oh, Oh. baby. (laughs) Look at Joe. Joey loves it. (laughs) He just said, we're the heroes. What Where do you heroes? reckon? One calamari? We're the heroes. You're the one that dropped it on there in the first place, yeah, mate. Yeah, I'll take one. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, for snapper bait tonight. <laughs> Thank Thank you. Just give me a calamari. We fed that to crabs. Yes. <laughs> we fed it to crabs. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I love fishing off Flinders. That, that, it's, it's, it's not that scary of a beach if, if you know what you're doing. Like, nah, it's easy. I, I, I fish, my uncle's been there for 20 years, we fish there a lot, and um, he's got the the spare tyre that's on a... Um, the jockey wheel? Of, yeah, the, 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 like the bracket. Yeah, yeah. And it yep. just clicks down, like it's five, five and a half metre surtees, and yeah, we just unhook the trailer, we flick down the spare wheel on the on the bracket, we can push the thing to the water. Yep. Easy. Fli- flick it, it off, s- yeah. snatch strap um, to get it out, <laughs> and then 
book it back up, park up on the beach. Look, that's the way you do it if you're not a risk risk taker. Like we've got that set up on uh, Brendan's boat, but we don't <laughs> use it. No. We just dunk the cars in. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, my car's in the water. Off. Yeah, if it, you get longer out of your car. <laughs> oh, if you turn them over a couple of years, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Someone else's problem. Yeah, fair enough. But. But that's a good system to yeah. sell your car every three years, not like Yeah, it. but you're driving on the beach anyway. You really think you're not getting salt and crap all over your car either way? Well, I think yeah. that's ne- negligible mm. and it takes so much longer to unhook. You're definitely safe from getting bogged that way. Yes, that. But it's a lot more effort. Didn't those fellas get bogged? Yeah. Well, they, it, yeah. Brendan's actually here, by the way. Oh, God. No, he's not. Oh. Some other world check. But anyway, um, <laughs> just, oh, that just would have been a massive disruption. <laughs> yeah. So I got a message from Neil, the Squid Baron. Oh, yep. And he squid go, Baron? Yeah, yeah. So after I posted that on the socials, that video, because it was quite entertaining, he goes, you're not going to believe it, but earlier they got bogged on the beach as well. So here's a picture that he sent through. <laughs> so <laughs> so their car is actually bogged in there and the drawbar's in the sand too. That's um. Is that trailer off the car at that point? What's going on? Um, there? perhaps. I don't know. There's some weird angles going on. Yeah, it's it's quite crazy. Man, it looks like they've just planted the foot there, and it's just like, go for quicker. It's because they've because they've got the hard lid up on the um, <laughs> thing, and it's acting like a rear wing, and the yeah. downforce is pushing the 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 back down. But. I don't even know how you get bogged at that beach because the sand is actually quite firm. It is, so. absolutely. Oh, no, you can do it. Yeah. My, oh, yeah, my brother's done it. Yeah. But it's a two-wheel drive thing, I think. But it, no, look, the secret to beach launching is in and out fast and don't leave the car sitting because if you get waves breaking around the um, tyres, mm. each wave makes it sink a little bit more and then you get that suction downwards. And also don't leave the car running in one spot for extended periods because the shaking of the engine running can also... Kind of like shuffle the car down deeper. Oh, well, dear. My, my beach launch tip is mid-tide. Like don't go right at the top of the uh, high tide because yeah. that's usually where the softest sand is and, and don't go at the dead bottom of the low because <laughs> you have to go way back in mid-tide. I, said I that, actually I, prefer low-tide because you can drive forward, turn around and you're in the water. Like, yeah, but it depends on the quality like, of the sand if mm. it's hard-packed or... <laughs> Maybe not dead low though. I remember I launched it on a dead low-tide with my uh, Cuda Craft which is a heavy little sucker, and it was Walkerville. so no, no, this was at um, Flinders. Okay, it was so low that like I was reversing and it wasn't getting any deeper, and I had to like literally find like a sand hole to aim the trailer at to get the boat floating. So I you believe know, that you can you can do it, but yeah, top of the high tide there, you get a lot of swell coming in, and it actually gets very surgy and becomes a bit dangerous. Oh, and easterly at Flinders, pool. you don't want south, yeah, southeasterly. Yeah, so you know. Caution is advised at that location. So, uh, Joseph, um, one of our favourite activities with you is we do a little countdown All right. of various things. This is what must have been keeping me up last night. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Dave wants to sing his song. Joey knows stuff. He'll make a list for you. Really interesting stuff. It'll be worth the view. Listen to Joe run from number five to number one. <laughs> Woo! All That's right. Terrible. That is actually. I terrible. wanted to record record that, uh, re-record that, but Adrian wouldn't let me. That's terrible. All right, listen up. This week's top five is 
Top five Christmas fishing locations. Now, the boys had a joke before. They said, oh, Joey, you might be out of your depth here, but that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> that's why these two boys are here for. Uh, we love going fishing between Christmas and New Year. Most people have got you know, two, maybe three weeks off between Christmas and New Year. But, you know, the, the oceans and, um, you know, the ocean can be... Uh, Different fish can be running from time to time, and it's not always the best time of year to go fishing. It's but actually not. It's a, it's a bit of a transitional period as you come into Christmas. Summer species intermingling with spring species, and that's each of them can be a bit patchy. Yeah, 100%. So, look, I've shortlisted a top five, but, look, this could be subject to, you know, you, you've got to do your own research and actually see if the, the fish is starting there. But... These top five would be a good place to start if you're interested in catching a decent fish between Christmas and New Year. So right off the, the bat, I'm going to say, and probably the most obvious one, number um, number one, I've got uh, Western Port, and that's uh, going offshore. We, um, Sorry, I'll, I'll call that number five. We're, we're going to go from five to oh, one here. Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you went, okay, go. <laughs> yep. Everyone we're, pretend you didn't hear that. That's all right. No, um, Western Port, uh, offshore. Last year we went offshore, Dave. Do you remember that? We went on the 26th. I think we went on Boxing Day, maybe. Yeah, oh, yeah. And we failed. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a reason why we went out there because uh, between Christmas and New Year, there's always a chance of potentially kings or, or tuna. And that can be, you know, whether you go at the eastern entrance or the western entrance. As the boys mentioned before, you might have to do quite some kilometres to find some action. But you're always a chance. Um, I know Dave um, and his brother have caught um, big mako sharks between Christmas and New Year um, in the past before. So offshore Western Port can be a good option. Um, also a runner-up to that. Look, if you don't have a great big offshore boat and you're looking at getting some fantastic King George whiting, um, you have to say the middle spit between Christmas and New Year. Dave hates whiting. Yeah. <laughs> no, course, you got some comments on uh, Western Port offshore between Christmas and New Year. Um, yeah, no, like we've uh, sometimes you get like the kingfish do push in early, and we've caught some really nice kings um, just prior to Christmas. Um, don't know what it's looking like this year, but always worth a look. But as I said, very hit and miss. Um, I'm sure Jason Taylor's caught a few and kept it quiet. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. Um, Always worth setting a trail for if you're into shark fishing for mako sharks and bronze whales and stuff, and um, you'll catch gummy sharks and things off the bottom while you're doing that. So uh, it's always entertaining. You get a feed of flathead, so that's a oh, it's always a good day out. You know, you'll you'll get some meat either way. Don't forget the Sergeant Bakers, Dave. There's plenty <laughs> of them around this time of year. Excellent. That's what you want. Well, one thing I do notice, Western Port offshore guys, and I don't know if you can recall this as well from other seasons. Up in that, that uh, middle entrance there, um, the western entrance. The middle entrance. The western entrance. Yeah. Do you, you ever see like on the top one to five metres, they've got like the micro bait? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, you know, the, the, the tiny little tiny little micro bait. And sometimes at this time of year between Christmas and New Year, they're these tiny little white micro baits and they, they litter the sounder from sort of one to five metres. But then you'll see yakas and mackerel and salmon uh, push in on that and sometimes when that happens that's when all the other predators are around yeah well that's um yeah that western channel or western entrance this time of year does tend to load up with um yakas and salmon like you're saying joe it just seems to come alive with the 
It must be, yeah, that, that small bait comes in and triggers a feeding frenzy. Yeah, so we'll have to go out and have a look and see what's happening out there. You normally but, go to the wedding cake to find all that stuff out there in the Western entrance. Which one? The wedding cake. Which one's the wedding cake? <laughs> no, no, someone once told us out there. It's the wedding cake. He goes, there's plenty of bait at the wedding cake. And we go, yep, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so now we just call it the wedding cake. Wherever um, we happen to find the bait yeah, out there. The, the fairway boy, basically, we call it. The wedding cake. Yeah. All right, number number four, uh, Christmas fishing destination, Port Welsh, Port Corner Inlet. Uh, there's, everything's big there. There's big gummies, big snapper, big flathead, but also the Ferno Grip Islands. You can go out to the islands there, but once again, subject to you know, what's <laughs> happening. What's happening out there? You just got to you, you got to either go out there and have a look and make your own report, or maybe exactly, you know someone mate. down there. Look, I've actually always found Port Welsh bull. Um, Sharking is uh, pretty productive this time of year. If I had to pick somewhere to go out of for a better chance, um, a good chance at this time of year, it would probably be Port Welshpool or actually the uh, Mako Sharks and stuff off Port Ferry this time of year. Yes, some big dogs there. Very, very, you know, very plentiful at times. This time of year? Not sure. I just know this time of year people go out there and get like two or three a trip. They yeah. do the Ks, they go out near the shelf, but um Yeah, they yeah, catch like buddy three hundred kilo um big Makos out there. Big yeah. big dogs. With uh yeah, with uh Port Welsh pull there, you know, from what I I'm not too sure if it falls this year, but I've remembered in previous years, like between Christmas and New Year, I do believe there's a is there a full moon cycle or, or a new moon that happens between Christmas well, and New we're Year? We're on the full moon we now. We just had the fully. Yeah. Yeah, it's the full so, moon. So it should be new moon by New Year's, basically. So, well, you know, the lead up to the the new moon, that that's quite good with kings. Sure, isn't it? why not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Look, no well, or, or look, the, the full moon can be average for kings. Um, a lot of fish, a little bit more difficult on the full moon during the day because they're yeah, feeding they feed un- at night under the night. So, yep, yeah, Welsh beautiful pool. Welsh pool. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Christmas. Uh, fishing destination, very good. Mm. You're going to uh, be going there this year. Look, I'm just going to keep my options open. I think you have to if you want to be serious about catching a decent fish between Christmas and New Year. That's right, yeah. Joe. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'll, I'll take this to the next location. Was that number three. Yes, number three. Uh, Portland, the North Shore. Yep, tuna, bloody good fishery. Tuna and Kings in the same schools. Yep, Christmas and New Year. Look, I had an amazing session with uh, Rob Prince and Sean Hildyard on the seventh of January, twenty twenty one this year, and it was like full National Geographic style. We had it like a slight swell, and the sun came out at quarter to lunchtime, and we just saw acres and acres of tuna. But like they were just like. Football <laughs> silhouettes yeah. just in the waves, just little black footballs, and they were just acres of them. And did you catch we, them all? Oh, we had a great time. It was back to like what I was saying before, you know, short singlets <laughs> and thongs and casting top water for tuna. Seventh of January, absolutely brilliant. Um, the North Shore at Portland, and sometimes there's kingfish mixed in with them. Well, yeah, the kingfishing there can be exceptional. Um, all mixed in that water, and like, and it's. Crazy people, a lot of people in other parts of the country won't believe that we get our bluefin tuna and sometimes these tuna are up well over 100 kilo and they can be in as little as seven 10 metres. Seven. seven. Oh, you've uh, yeah. outdone me. Uh, it was 17 metres. We, we caught them in. Uh, I've, I've seen time. them in the North Shore in seven metres. 
I yeah. believe that. It's it's funny because last year there was a real good kingfish bite off the surf. People were catching them from the shore. They were casting surf lures wow. from the shore and catching these big meter kings. Yeah. And, well, yeah. and it was only like a week or two bite and people were smashing them. Mm. Um, so it doesn't really matter how deep the water is. No. Well, the fish yeah. don't care. No. As long as they've got water over their heads and there's bait for them to eat, they're going to go in there. Exactly. Yeah, um, I'll go on to the next location. Look, um, I know you boys have been preaching this a bit, but it has been a late snapper season this year, and what's not to say that uh, the snapper fishing's going to be excellent between Christmas and New Year in Port Phillip Bay this time? Oh, yeah, well, it hasn't slowed down yet. It looks like it's still going really well. You know, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of, you know, locations like, you know, the 20-metre line off Mornington, um, all down there surely must be good for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm I'm still waiting for Dave's mate um, Phil to catch one. He's been trying hard in Port Phillip. Phil's got some, has he? Oh yeah, he has. Yeah, oh, with yeah. Um, his mate. What a weapon! Because it's been a tough season in Port Phillip. Yeah, what has it? <laughs> no, well, the start has. No, Port Phillip's been amazingly good. Oh, I thought. Now it is. Yeah, it's been incredible. Like did, every charter really, boat I see, yeah. I saw Calvin Bertaccini skippering real time this morning. Did you? He was, I didn't actually see him physically, <laughs> but he was back at the docks at um, 6.30 a.m. I'm pretty sure. Like back tied up, bagged out at 6.30 a.m. with that's a crazy. crew of like six people. Job's He's done. Back at Karam Ramp at six. So that's three fish over 40 centimetres per person times six people or whatever it is. All done, dusted, back tied up again. But so there's a bit of confusion with these sizing rules. So mm. you'll add 10 snapper, right? But only three over 40 centimetres. Yeah. So if you catch three over 40 centimetres, is that your bag? Or you're still allowed to catch seven more? No, you can catch seven under 40 if you okay. can locate a tiny school of fish. Yeah. It's, it's pretty Because no, you often see some of these charter boats with like stacks of fish. And there's only like three or four people on the boat. Yeah. So It's a good look, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, was, I get that yeah. it gets some customers, but well, what are you? What going off on a tangent here? It, like it looks pretty horrible. Just a, <laughs> Absolutely, a pile of dead fish piled on the floor. I'd rather a couple of good quality. Um, I guess people holding some nice quality fish. Yeah, just a couple of them a day, and but apparently it does bring them in the bookings, which is yeah, kind of unfortunate. But seasonal business. Well, we're gonna we're gonna put this as number one, and it, it's kind of a smoky. But I've I've made this number one because out of the these top five, this is your chance of potentially catching the biggest fish. You got me really confused because you started counting one way, then the other, and then you swapped back again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so what are we up to? I've number two now. No, we're up to number one. Oh, right. oh, so Paul Phillip was number two. That was your number two destination. Yeah, he summer. said number four, or had it as oh, number four. Okay. Yeah. No, we're going to go this way. It suits me just fine right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number one, and I'm going to say Marlin, Jarvis Bay. Jarvis Bay. Jarvis just Bay. Jarvis Bay. You're just calling it <laughs> Marlin. That's where the bite is, guys. <laughs> Ma- Marlin, Jarvis Bay. Uh, just a quick story. This this year, a good friend of mine, Sean Hilliard, he's up doing uh, Marlin. Um, first time he's put his boat into uh, Jarvis Bay, and he, he caught two Marlin within 40 minutes of launching and then he woke up 4.30 in the morning, caught two marlin fairly quickly and then somehow got a text message that quickly come and put the boat back on the ramp and flee back to Victoria because the New South Wales COVID cases were going up. 
Ah, uh, yes. Oh, so that was last year, was it? Or this year? This last was this year, 2021. But oh, yeah, this year is this year. Yeah. I keep, I've already <laughs> moved on. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, all right. But well, yeah, um, there was always a chance of getting a mile on, on that um, South Coast. Weren't we up South there Wales. when that happened? We were up there in March, no, late Feb. Oh, yeah. And we were up there, yeah, and it was just starting to get bad. Yeah. So. And also, what I'd like to ask you guys, yeah, what's your Marlin plans for 2022? Um, well, I'm... If I can, <laughs> you could have baby come in. You're not Marlin fishing, let's be honest. If I can go Marlin fishing, it would be quite the miracle. So I'll literally have a newborn. But there was discussion about this. Me and Madeline the other day. Oh, so wow. There's got to be some forward Lines planning. of communication are open on that one. Adrian's going up there for like yeah. two weeks or something. So as soon as the marlin bite's on, doesn't matter where it is, Burmy, Eden, Tathara, JB, whatever. Naruma. Joe said no, I'm going to go Naruma. Joe said it's going to be JB. Yeah, well, he said JB. May as well book now. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, whenever it is, whenever there's a hot bite, whether it's the end of Jan, start of Feb, I'm going to take a week or two off. Take the family, and I'm just gonna take the tinny, try to get one in the tinny, and be glorious. It's Unreal. Better. So all your refrigeration customers around then can expect that there's been a delay in supplies of materials. Oh no, I'll be locked down. Yes. Sorry. There'll be, be something, some sort of excuse along those lines. <laughs> Look, oh yeah. 2022, I've clocked up quite a bit of annual leave, keeping a full time job during COVID. I'm hoping to catch my first marlin in 2022. Oh wow. Oh Joe, we've come so close, haven't we? Yes, I actually hooked up to a marlin uh, three or four years ago um, off the rigs at Lake's Entrance. Yeah. That was um, quite an experience. We uh, we were skip baiting. I was on board with Dave and Winger at 80 or 90 k's out and we were skip baiting around the oil rigs and... Yeah, by, by jingos, we, we hooked up. <laughs> <laughs> by jingos, by jingos. <laughs> we, we hooked up and I was on for about five minutes and that marlin... Uh, just shore through that. It was two hundred pound. Two hundred pound leader. It was just oh, like a hot knife Joey, through which butter. Was an error. Joey, I feel you, brother. Do you know how many marlin I've lost in my life? How like many? Through every single way you can think of. Really? Yeah. Leaders like, popping, mainline snapping, um, hooks pulling, hooks bending, hooks. You know, name it. That <laughs> one with Joe was actually quite a magnificent bite, though. Yeah. Like came in on the rigger. Joe spotted it first. I don't know how. It, that was like, pre-laser eye surgery too. I know. <laughs> Bloody hell, it must have been obvious. And it, just, was, it was like right there. It was. His fin was flapping around. And, he's, and he, Joe's like, oh, there's a marlin on the skip bait. So I actually grabbed the rod and like hand-fed it the bait and yeah. it just climbed all over it and that was very acrobatic. And then um, sadness. But yeah, sometimes you just got to give it a bit more line. On those skip baits, just so it can swallow it properly. And oh, then it was hooked good. Don't oh, was worry it? about that. Oh, we oh, had it on Friday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. True. The line, the leader snap. We were trying to be, well, I'd rig with 200 pound gin car. Was it flu- fluorocarbon? No. No, that's probably why. You know what? I don't think it, like when you're skip baiting, most of your leader is out of the water. Oh, so I question whether it matters at all no, what pound leader you're It doesn't matter. Especially if you've got some good outriggers, mm. your line's never even touching the water. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure the next trip, me and Brendan put like 400 pound leader on our skip baits, and <laughs> yeah. we got a double hook up. Yeah, so even live baiting, they're not looking at your line. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon that. I reckon you're live baiting, it does make a difference. Okay. they got heaps of time. Sorry, they're so <laughs> hungry. They well, just bloody dash and crash and eat. We got a lot of time to look at the bait and stuff when you're slow trolling. 
Slow trolling, yes. Mm. I'm talking about pitching. Oh, pitching. Yeah. Potentially same thing. Okay. But, but oh, gee, I've been for Marlon so many times and... and oh. Are you serious? Yeah. Who's it? that? It's a fuckhead. Yeah, Brendan. That's actually really infuriating. <laughs> yes. So that's Brendan Wing beeping like an arsehole. Anyways, I've been for Marlon so many times and I haven't caught any. I think you just have to be ready to go when they're biting. Simple as that. Oh, yeah. I think that goes with all sorts of fishing. And, um, yeah, so that was number... That was his number... That's number one, guys. Yeah, oh. Marlon fishing. There yeah. it is. Merry Christmas. I hope you, you catch <laughs> it you, like you, you're able to maybe utilise one of those locations and get yourself an awesome fish between Chrissy New Year break. Yeah, I'm... Pretty uh, pretty happy with that list. Um, have, I, have I rejuvenated you boys? Not really. Well, I wish that I could uh, go out for um, one of these long-distance trips and follow the bite, but I'm a little bit hamstrung at the moment, so yeah, we'll see what happens. But um, <laughs> Look, yeah. a, they're, they're not all mega, mega far locations. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, not well, really. There's probably one I might add to that. Yeah. Um, being that um, I think I'm a silhouette again, by the way. Our lights no, are you're just, right. Our lights just went off for some reason. Uh. Um, but I would probably add to that Marlow kingfish. Yeah. Which um, traditionally has, when we've had some pretty epic kingfish seasons there, it's been this time of year. So on the offshore reefs up that way. Yeah. But it's depend, it's it's dependent on water quality and fish movements like anywhere else. But when, the, when it all lines up, that can be a ripping area as well. Only problem with fishing this year is everyone's got time off as well. So you're fighting over... Same patches of water. Mm. Look, look, I don't know if it's something you guys cover on this podcast, but um, who's who's got uh, rip charts going here? Um, uh, I you? used to. Oh yeah, I was. I had a friend of mine show me some uh, rip charts uh, yesterday. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that would be something really cool. Yeah, maybe awesome. for next time. <laughs> yeah, well, you can subscribe and pay for it, and I'll just look <laughs> at it. Or even better, just get my mates login. <laughs> you know what? It- it's probably not even worthwhile if you're only doing like one marlin trip a year. But if, you, if you're chasing the um, whole east coast and the marlin, I think it's well worth it. But oh, definitely. There's the yeah, fisheries that it's super useful for are marlin. And tuna off there as well. And Ooh. I think, yeah, tuna up the east coast especially. Yeah. And um, see all the eddies. Massively dependent on water movement, yep. um, currents and all that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I just want to get your you guys' opinion on it. I, I do remember at one point in the game, a lot of the tuna fishermen down here um, in Victoria, we're looking at the rip charts for winter. Um, any value in that or no relevance whatsoever? Rip charts for what, sorry? For bluefin tuna on the west coast. And a lot of the uh, tuna well, fishermen were like, oh, yeah, there's a cold up well in yeah. here. It's like trying to trying to relate it to uh, marlin. Um, yeah, well, arguments it, for or against. Everyone reckons they see patterns and stuff in that fishery, which is very close inshore. But... Um, Personally, I think they can be kind of anywhere at any time. Although I will say, I think sometimes with the big bluefin, they will come in on a push of nice, clean blue water. And then when they find the bait stacked up, they hang around and they'll they'll hang out in, they're happy to hang in the green water. But I think the bulk of the, the fish are kind of on that blue push. Yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, then again, with the black marlin, they'll just follow the bait even right inshore up against the rocks and everything. So. Yeah, with, yeah, with black marlin, they seem... They seem happy to be in the yeah. greener water as long as there's the bait there. Greener, want. colder, doesn't matter, warmer, whatever. I've well, really been thrown by Brendan beeping at us. I'm quite <laughs> infuriated, I must say. What's he even doing here? What business does he have here? 
Has um, he got an appointment? No. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> just been an obnoxious flog. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> moving on from... Thanks, Joe. That was a bloody ripper top five. Oh, you're welcome. Play us out, Washo. Where is it? <laughs> Hit my button. <laughs> Joey knows stuff. He'll make a list for you. Really interesting stuff. It'll be worth the view. Listen to Joe run from number five to number one. <laughs> Woo! Now, great list, Joey. Great list. <laughs> there you go. We'll see you next year. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I suppose you're not coming on next week. <laughs> We've got one episode to go. But, uh, yeah, well, I might run through the little, uh, since we've kind of done some kind of fishing reports, we'll, we'll do the whip around, Adrian, where we whip oh. around what's been going on in the last week. I love a good whip around. Listen to what reports you've come up with. All right. Well, we've got uh, Portland, tuna, bluefin tuna in big schools, and the odd kingfish starting to filter in. Um, so I know Matt Sini from Real Time went down there and caught a whole heap of tuna last weekend um so that summer tuna fishery and close there is definitely started and the same thing very close to home here at barwon heads and i've heard even in the rip and even in port phillip bay there's been bluefin caught and um as i think we mentioned last week but that's just sort of thickened up and uh small small kings amongst that which uh you quite often get those small rat kings even mixed in with those tuna schools and they'll eat a Toad lure as well. Oh, yeah. They seem a little bit more happy to eat a toad lure than their smart. Those rat kings are always eat, yeah, in a spread. So I don't know yeah. why. When they get bigger, they get too smart for it. Yeah. Which is annoying. Um, yep. And snapper for the 25th week in a row. I can tell you, West Port and Port Phillip <laughs> has snapper in it. <laughs> um, Port, uh, as you've seen from our reports, seem to. He's sucking a little bit in the last week, but who knows what's going on I there. think it's just because we fish the same marks all the time and we just expect it to produce, basically. Now, I'm going to put another spin on it. I'm actually really excited about Snapper. I had a great trip last week that uh, at Port Welsh Pool with Brendan. Like, I think there's some big dogs still to be caught. I would love to head back um, to Port Welsh Pool on the next opportunity that I get. Yeah, well, Port Welsh Pool traditionally runs a little bit uh, later than our season, um, well, Port Phillip goes on for ages, but Western Port seems to be pretty much all over by about within the next week or so. Um, but Port Welsh will definitely be very good into January and beyond for some big fish. Big dog season's still good there. Yeah, so that's definitely worth a trip. And if it's, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, there's plenty of uh, sharks and kingfishing there at the offshore islands can be amazing. So hopefully that fires up soon as well. Uh, the beaches at the 90 mile in uh, Victoria's east uh, still producing heaps of bronze whalers for guys sending baits really far off the beaches. Yep. And there's been some incidental juvenile great white captures there, which happens all the time. Um, so these guys identify them as great whites and get them back and going as quick as possible um, because obviously if they were to target those fish, it would be... Highly illegal. Quick, but quick question. You, you've been on that 90 bar beach trip before, um, Dave. Were you with Brendan and uh, Finn? Yeah, I was on the 86th mile. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Joe. Yeah, cool. Oh. Yeah. No, I just wanted to. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we talked about that last week. So, we did, we yeah. did. But unfortunately, Joey doesn't watch our show. Yeah, he doesn't listen or watch. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I got another report. 
um, from the deep south. But oh, I think yes. what we might do is uh, try and call this person and get a bit of a first-hand... Oh, I can't wait to hear from this gentleman. Yeah, so it's probably... Do we give him a try now, Adrian? I can try him. He, yeah, so... If he wants to answer... Look, if he answer. answers the answers, I'll start talking about what he's been up to. So, uh, Jonah Yick, who's uh, quite often uh, chatting to us on the uh, podcast and sending in questions, which we thank him for. He went for a bit of an exploratory mission off the deep south of Tasmania out to a place called Matsyker Island, which is, uh, I think, about a 50 or 60k steam. Yeah. And from... From, uh, I think it's a place called Catamaran, um, which is the ramp that he goes from. I've been there with him once. And he's not answering. He w- did have a dentist appointment. Maybe they're pulling some teeth out. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, the in- really interesting thing about that was, uh, other than the fact that he caught a whole heap of striped trumpeter, that um, Adrian will get up for us to These ones. check out. Yeah. Whoa. Look at that. Whoa. There's, yeah. a, there's a jet ski all the so way. That's the really interesting thing about it was his mate in his jet ski followed them out there like a maniac. <laughs> that's crazy. That's a long ride on a jet ski. Yeah. It, it, tell me something. They're actually called Tasmanian trumpeters? Yeah, Tasmanian striped trumpeters. Mm. Yep. You can catch them off Burmy and all that as well. Um, and New Zealand, deep. I yeah. believe. Yeah. I don't think they're called Tasmanian trumpeters uh, there. Do they, they, do they have they any trumpeters no, off the not. West Coast here? <laughs> Yes. Uh, yep. Off the, Portland. Off Portland. Yep. Yep. And um, off uh, Lakes Entrance. Yep. So they are quite widespread, but definitely the most established fishery is down there in Tasmania, where uh, they have an open and closed season, and uh, it's quite, quite a, uh, quite a targeted species. So hopefully we can get him on the phone. I'd love to ask him a few more questions about that. Yeah, well, I, I tried to catch him with him down there once and he wouldn't let me because apparently it was closed season. I was like, I <laughs> just want to look at one. Closed for a striped trumpeter? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. For a pelagic deep offshore... They're not pelagic, but yeah. Well, they follow <laughs> the currents, don't they? Do you know what, what pelagic means, Adrian? Well, yeah, they move around. And <laughs> they're not. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. They're not They're not residential. They move around. Well, they're, they're gathering down there in numbers because they're spawning, just yeah. like our snapper. So there's an actual closed season yeah, for well, offshore species. Yeah, which I think is around springtime. So they must have just opened up recently. Don't quote me on that, but I know when I went down there, it was like, was it September? Something like that. We weren't allowed to catch them. But apparently, yeah, down there at Matt Syker, it's uh, quite amazing striped trumpeter fishing. And um, yeah, as you can see there, Jonah absolutely destroyed the population, catching them on jigs and all sorts of stuff. Apparently, they fight really good. Yeah, they look like that. And they look really tasty as well. Apparently they are. They look pretty ugly though. <laughs> I actually don't mind the look of them. No. Well, they're not. They're kind of just like brown poo fish. Yeah. <laughs> Very highly sought after brown poo fish. Yep. So yeah, that's uh, what I've got for you for my whip around. Oh, so, beautiful. Oh, yeah. we also went um, Christmas cruising on the weekend on Saturday oh, yeah. night. Oh, that's a good trip. Yeah. It's actually, we actually got a really good feedback. Like, we got lots of people message us because we put a few stories on Instagram and we had a f- quite a few people um, message us saying, oh, should have told me. I would have brought my family in my boat. And so next year there could be quite a big um, fleet of us, I guess. Well, I've been doing it for about four or five years now and every year another person tags along. And Joe came with me last year, actually. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It's cool. It's like a little hidden 
Venice Canal type system. I've never been to Venice, but no, I've been know. to Venice. I'd agree with that. Oh, good. <laughs> but the house is sinking. It's it's really funny because there's some real amazing setups, and you get real close to real close to the house and start taking selfies, and then you just hear someone lurking in the dark saying "Merry Christmas," <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically someone just standing there. Um, I guess inhaling all of the good comments from boats passing by. It's almost <laughs> like when you catch a good fish um, during the day and you put it on the socials and you just kind of hover over it and see what people say about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this is what these guys, these guys are doing in person, just lurking in the dark and just oh, listening. They, they like my display. <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, there's a shitload of effort that goes into putting up all those lights. and Mate, there's also ornaments. some terrible ones. <laughs> there's, oh, this, yeah. there's this tent... Elf tent thing. Did you see that? No. Oh, there's like all these random tents on someone's yard and basically a dolphin light shoved in the tents and that was it. Oh. What? Yeah. Oh, well, at least they put some effort in. I, I haven't got any lights up at home, so I can't talk. No. But yeah. I think if you're going to commit, you've got to commit, don't you? Yeah, I reckon. But yeah, no recommended activity. But actually that uh, brings me to another little segment because um, yeah. I was getting pretty pissed off. At Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he grinds my gears, but I uh, I was getting my gears ground by people, and not just on this occasion, but uh, people who run forward facing spotlights on their boats and blind everyone else on the water. Oh, that's that's bloody terrible! I bloody hate it. Yeah, so that brings us to our it is. next sec. Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. Did we not label that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's so Watching amateur Peter Griffin for You know what really grinds my gears <laughs> Thanks Tom You know what really grinds my gears Oh <laughs> god oh, Well what grinds your gears Davey um, Piss poor preparation Yeah For podcasting Yeah okay. Grinds my gears yep. No yeah so it's people in uh, boats right And you guys will be aware of this It's actually illegal To have a forward facing floodlight Operating on waters in Victoria, and people don't may not realise this, but they aren't really helping themselves at all because when you have no lights on, your eyes can adjust to the dark and you can actually see pretty well anyway. Yeah. And you're actually lessening your vision because all you're doing is lighting up a small area in front of the boat. And most of the time it's getting vapours off the water and just, yeah, yeah you can't. The light's not travelling any further than a couple of metres. But that's not what's annoying. I mean, like, yeah, if you feel like that's helping you, then that's great. And I can imagine in some very remote locations when you're perhaps navigating through some bombies or some rocks or something like that, it might come in handy. Yep. But like I said, it's actually illegal in our waterways. And when you're another boat on the water, those spotlights, they travel for so long and you can't, if you're coming, driving towards them, you can't see anything and it becomes really dangerous. And it's exactly the same when you're launching at the boat ramp and people leave their <laughs> headlights on as well. I hate that. You can't see the dividers in the ramp at all. Yeah. You can't see anything. So that's actually even worse. Yeah. Headlights on cars because they go down the ramp and the angle of the headlights goes straight into your eyeballs when you're trying to reverse your own trailer and you literally can't see a thing. So... Yeah, that grinds my gears, Adrian. What grinds your gears, Joey? Got anything that grinds your gears? <sighs> <laughs> Nothing? No. Nah, nah. uh, poor boat foods? <laughs> yeah. Preparation? 
Yep, my total grinds my gears uh, launching the boat and uh, getting your socks wet and you can breathe. <laughs> your socks wet. And this instant fishing trip <laughs> ruined. If you don't have a spare set of socks or you don't have a towel to dry your wet feet, um, <laughs> you can... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so so have you got socks on when you're fishing? It's a comfort thing. Oh. <laughs> well, you've got gumboots and socks. How are your socks? In the middle them? of winter and you're tuna fishing and it's like, oh, just unhook me, Joey, and then you dunk one of your feet in the water. Oh, yeah. And then you've got no socks and you've got no uh, towel to dry your wet feet. It's horrible. Joe's a real creature of comfort, though, Adrian. When we go tuna fishing, he wears, like, snow gloves. <laughs> snow gloves. Like little mittens on his cute little hands. Yeah, but they, they quickly get pinched off <laughs> as soon as I take them off for like a second to yeah. let them cool down for a minute. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have seen them in Brendan's car actually, but I don't think he actually wears them. I think he's just hiding them from you for fun. <laughs> Brendan, they wouldn't even fit Brendan's hands. Have you seen the size of his hands? They're like giant. They're trowels. Yeah. Human trowels. Yeah. But yeah, it would be uh, pretty impossible to do any sort of meaningful fishing activities while wearing those gloves, but... Lucky for Joe, he's not there for the uh, the tackle prep or anything like that. So it, it's just for travel. They're travel gloves, Davey. So you know, when it's time to fish, <laughs> the gloves come off. When it's right. time to travel, the gloves come back on. When it gets down to the business of winding fishing, those gloves get whipped straight off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Fair enough. Anything grinding your gears, Adrian? Um, yeah, just that there's no fish in Western Port, um, <laughs> and I can't catch them. <laughs> That's the only thing grinding my gears. Oh, you've got to go to greener pastures. You reckon? You reckon I've got to look for greener grass here? Greener pastures. <laughs> the pastures of Western Port <laughs> not the best at the moment. No, they're pastures well-travelled, unfortunately. <laughs> it's sometimes, yeah, anyway, it's not great at the moment, but no. that's all right. Hopefully it picks up for everyone who's going to get out of the holiday break. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I reckon there's only one thing left to do, Adrian. Yeah. And that is to check out some of our uh, viewer questions. Oh, yes. Oh, goody. And we're once again going to pick... The, oh, you might not know this, Joe, because you don't listen to our podcast, but <laughs> the thing we do is we pick out the best question and then we give them a prize pack of immersion apparel clothing. Oh, they get a prize pack now? Yeah, we wow. uh, okay, bundle you, up some immersion hoodies and caps and T-shirts. Been, and been doing that for weeks, so you clearly don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, like last time I was on, there was no prize pack. Okay, so you just listen to the ones you're on. <laughs> he doesn't even do that. All right, <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna go through some of these questions. I want you to listen and pick the one that you like the most. Okay. All right, we've got one from Jonah, like we do every week, and Jonah's pretty much not getting a prize back ever because <laughs> I've given him clothes before, and if he's nice to me, I might give him some again, but it won't be for a prize. So Jonah's written. Uh, Dave appears to come across quite fearless when fishing a lot of the time, regardless of the weather or the distance offshore. What is the worst weather experience you've had when fishing and have you ever feared for your life? Well, it seems quite targeted at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I can think of one. One one uh, year I was doing a, the Blue Water Shimano Classic with Rodney Gillum. Uh, yep. It's just me and him fishing it that year in his uh, seven-metre extreme. Mm. Pretty big boat. Yeah, it's a wouldn't, big boat. You wouldn't be very scared in that. No, but unfortunately day one... Not one single trailer boat launch. So Rodney goes, oh, we can get one up here <laughs> <laughs> in the trailer boat section. And, um, and how unfortunately was it? it was, I guess, three metre, three and a half metre swells and 
20 to 30 knot winds all day. Oh, is that all? So we get out to the shelf and we actually hooked one almost straight away. And we're actually, while we're on a skip bait and while we're fighting this fish, we're surfing down waves, like actually skidding down them. And it was just scary as hell. Even in a seven metre boat. Mate, when you're surfing down waves without even powering, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> you yeah. got no control. And that that brings back memories like that was actually scary. When yeah, it, well, did anyone throw up? No, it was only me and Rodney. Did anyone throw up? No, no. No, I actually find I get more seasick in that slow, uh, slow long rollers. rolls on a calm day because you're not really, I guess – Weary of what's going on, but with the, the strong winds and big swells, you can actually see what you know it's up and down and all around. So. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny because some of the roughest days I've had have been off Bermagui, yeah. and it's not even that it's traditionally a super rough area, but I think because we don't get up there very often, mm. um, we kind of push our luck a little bit to fish as much as we can, and also because it's a pretty short run to the fishing ground, so you think, oh, you know, I'll just punch out there, it'll be right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've had some super rough days out there, um, but you know, Jonah says is sort of saying that I'm can be a little bit um, fearless with the uh, weather, but I think I'm pretty calculated. Yeah, um, I, I, I really don't fancy dying at sea, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I yeah, I know our boats are pretty capable, and I don't think I really push them anywhere near their yeah. limit. But I've certainly have been in some pretty horrible conditions and the boats have handled them really well. A um, couple of examples off the top of my head would be uh, uh, down at... Actually, this one wasn't even a very windy day, but uh, I was out with Brendan one time off Portland and there was a genuine 10-metre swell running. A genuine 10-metre swell. I think, I, 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 think swell. I was on board that day. Yeah, Joe was there. It was Lofty, Marty, Elal. It was actually five on board. We yeah. sort of we crammed... A lot in and yeah. Yeah. That was incredible. And yeah, we had Joe and Lofty on each side of the boat, like projectile vomiting, like vomit outriggers. <laughs> vomit outriggers, Adrian. A self-furling boat. No, I've never seen anything like that. Like exactly what Dave said. Like I think it was like a 10 metre slow, slow swell, but it was like... That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 10 metre walls Like that's of water. how slow it was. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there was no chop on it. It was like giant swells, yeah. but there was no wind on it. That's yeah. the one that gets people. But if there was the slightest bit of wind, you'd be dead. It exactly. Was so big. Yeah. But yeah. So um, other than that, um, Warnab- there's been Warnable, countless. Is that Warnable? Yeah. Warnable yeah. is famous for the big swells, eh? Well, that whole coast. Yeah. It's, um, it's a massive fetch of water, and there's not really anything between that and Antarctica and it. Nah. The swell just gathers and gathers and gathers and then crashes into the coast. Yep. And as Joe likes to say, they don't call it the shipwreck coast for nothing. <laughs> they <laughs> sure right, don't. don't. Yeah, cool. uh, other than that, there's been countless of times in super rough seas where I've had to you know, punch in and you end up getting bashed to death the whole way in. Um, one of them would have been off uh, Lake's entrance. Yeah. We try to pick out whether really... Well, speaking of Lake's entrance, we do have a question for that too. We'll whip through that one in a sec. Yeah. Yeah, but being so far out, we do try to prick our, pick our weather really uh, like so there's a big, nice, calm weather window. But, yeah, um, yeah I did get kind of caught with a, a unexpected wind coming up out there one time in my old 18-foot gunshot. And um, I reckon it took oh, – we, we were 95K out. It probably took us, <laughs> I don't know, f- close to four hours to punch in. By the time we got back in, it was dark. 
and there's a bar crossing there and you don't want to be going through a bar crossing in the dark, but we did. And um, I just remember looking at that map and the shoreline just seemed like it was never, ever getting closer. Yeah, right. That's crazy. Yeah, but um, yeah, so I I think that I'm pretty careful with my weather picking. Um, There's definitely guys that go out in some weather that makes me question their sanity and I think that I uh, pull the pin a little bit earlier than they do, but... There's the warnable break wall there that we're talking about. Yeah, that that was um, on a day I think it might have been a, f- a five and a half metre swell day, warnable break wall there. And um, yeah, some pretty uh, amazing pictures. I had a, fr- a friend of mine down there that uh, sent sent through. Um, she was yeah, having breakfast on the on the restaurant there oh, by, yes. by the uh, right wharf. on the break wall there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely awesome. That break wall is not actually solid, so the waves. Tend to roll under it a little bit as mm. well. So those boats that are in on the moorings there can cop it at times. But uh, yeah, so moving on. Uh, next question comes from Fishing Nana on Fishing uh, Nana. Instagram. So thanks for sending this one in. I'm a lazy Western Port Bay fisherwoman, but was thinking, would it be worthwhile when snapper fishing in choppy conditions to have a rod in the rack with a soft plastic attached just off the bottom to jig around as well? Have you fished soft plastics for snapper in Western Port? Adrian, have you? Uh, I actually have before um, on Slack Tide and Sewillies, and I got a, I think a little two kilo snapper on Slack Tide. That yeah. was the only time I've tried it, but I know you um, have actually done it and had success. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. So it's probably something I haven't done enough of recently, but a few years ago we used to do a bit of it, um, and it definitely works quite well. Um, to leave a rod sitting there mid tide in the in the uh, rod holder. Um, potentially you're going to need a fair bit of lead um, and also you've got the problem with weed coming through. So I think maybe actively working the bait's probably the go. Um, and there is definitely areas in Western Port where um, we've had success, um, even with like your traditional drifting and casting style. Yeah. Um, and one of those is Coronet Bay up in the shallows there, three to four metres, not much current comes through there. And we've caught some nice fish there on um, squidgy Wrigglers or I suppose you can try whatever variety you normally use, but that's what we were using at the time. Yeah. And even up off Lysart's around the tide changes, casting plastics around will get your fish. But, um, yeah, it can be a bit tricky in Western Port fishing with plastics, but they definitely do eat them. Um, I suspect trying something like jigging um, with, with the heavier jigs could be productive as well. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely worth a try. Um Probably not the optimal way to be catching snapper in Western Port, but if you want to give yourself a challenge, then definitely give it a go. Yeah, right. No, that sounds great. You giving it a go at all, Joe? Or not? Not in Western Port, I can't say. I do remember no. Winger back in the day. Um, definitely used to give it a crack. Um, yeah, definitely thought of some times there. Um, thinking about tea tree competition, uh, 2011, 2012. There was a mega um, snapper bite off Cor- Coronella. I think. Uh, where we were, we were trying some plastics um, there. And, yeah, exactly like you said, that um, not too deep where you'd be able to work it and not have to worry too much about the tide. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, thank you for that question. And moving on to the next one, we've got uh, one coming from Ashley Wilson. So this is a biggie. Thanks, Ash, for sent, taking the time to write this one to us. Um, so a couple of questions for the show tonight. 
When you boys go fishing together, who gets first fish and why? Do you share rods or only catch the fish that hit your rods? What's the golden rules on boating etiquette when taking guests out in general? Should they get first fish? Uh, contribute to the trip by uh, with cash or helping clean the boat? Is there expectation or do we do it because we love it? Would love to hear other people's thoughts on this. I love taking people out and getting them fish and don't ask or want anything in return, but I know others that do. But after a spell of slow fishing, I'm keen to get on the first buckle. So, um, <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. It is loaded, but we'll get you. I, I know where he's um, coming from. Yeah, here. I do 100%, too. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Look, there are people that um, are a lot more stringent with their uh, fish allocation. Yep. And uh, the way they do things and resources allocation and liability. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I personally reckon, reckon because we don't have that's your rod, that's my rod. Whoever's bait we're on at the time, we use their gear and there's normally a set on that. So if you're taking someone out, it's normally you say, oh, you can catch the first fish. I don't really care. I've caught yeah. a few this year. So, well, yeah, like I think we touched on another podcast we did, like a, a lot of the reason we fish, and it sounds like we're on the exact same wavelength. Here, Ashley, is um, to see people having that feeling of catching a big fish or their first of something and the joy that they get out of that. And we honestly couldn't care less who winds it in as long as someone on the boat's, um, you know, as long as someone on the boat is landing it and, you know, you all share in that feeling of euphoria. So in in regards to cash, like... We certainly don't keep like a notepad and add stuff up and then oh, divide it. And day. I've seen you pull out your little black book and go, oh, <laughs> yep, we took Adrian out surf fishing and Bill was $25. Yeah, uh, no, definitely. $10 no, to his name. My, my, fa- <laughs> my favourite Dave standing moment is at the Crib Point petrol station when petrol, I think, might have been up around $1.80, $1.90 a litre and he's filling up the boat and he's like, stop drinking, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> The pump was like $320. Yeah. I was like, you poor bastard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I never really ask people for money. If people want to chuck in some cash, then I suppose that's good etiquette on their behalf. And yeah, usually yeah, I'll still be too polite and I'll go, nah, don't worry about it, even though I desperately need that money. I actually find it more of an insult. Just say you've put about 300 bucks of cash in the fuel tank and then at the end of the day someone gives you a $20 note. I feel like that's an insult. Yeah, <laughs> Just give me nothing at all, like. Twenty dollars is just saying, "fuck you," basically. <laughs> yeah, well, some people just are a bit blind to it and they don't yeah. know any better. But look, I, I love that question, and I think part of the like the reason you know who we pick with to go fishing, you know, you generally hang out with a bunch of people that sort of like the same things and that are on the same wavelength as you, and there's kind of a unwritten law, but. Maybe for people that um, have just started to own boats and you know, they want to bring people out and, and whatnot, I think it's just been important to align yourself with people that would uh, think similar similarly to you. Well, you're not going to get an invite back if on the boat if you're um, not helpful and you're not pulling your weight. And you won't know why. <laughs> you know what, if it's a young person coming on the boat, I don't let them give me money mm. because when I was younger, a lot of people took me fishing and didn't expect any money. And I feel like... It's a good thing to pass on and I always let them obviously wind in the majority of the fish as well because they might not get the opportunity that I do and I want them to get hooked on the sport like I am and then they can grow up and enjoy some of the stuff that I've enjoyed and then one day they can 
yeah. pass it on to another kid. But where, where he's getting at when there's a slow spell in the bite, that's when we get a bit competitive and we push each other out the way uh, to grab the rod. In. <laughs> yeah. I've heard stories where Dave and Wingo like full on have punch-ons over the rods and stuff. Oh, yeah, I've been <laughs> involved in a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, look, look. I think when it's the crew you go with regularly, though, you can get all kinds of... Get up to all kinds of mischief. Oh, yeah. But um, like I said, when you've got greenhorns on the boat, I think you want to give them oh, 100%. the best opportunity you can. And, um, yeah, I think Ashley mentioned uh, washing the boat there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always – you should always, always, always offer to help and at least try to help. Most of the time, I know with myself, like, I know where everything goes and I've got methods yeah. to everything I do. So That's right. I'm usually pretty happy to do it myself and I'll just say don't worry about it or, you know, if you live further away than I do – you know, I'd rather you get on the road and not be completely stuffed and driving tired. Well, every, everyone has a, a certain standard how they like washing their boat at the end of the day. So when you kind of help, it's like they're going to redo it anyway, basically. Yeah, well, I've got, yeah. I got a great tip. Like, and I know you're very particular about the way that you clean your boat, Dave. But you know, what, what I at least try to do in your situation is, okay, if we clean the boat, I'll help you empty it because... Yeah. And take the stuff out because I know you take it out to give it a good wash. Like even even that might make a ten minute job down to five minutes. Yeah, well, it um, stops it, me climbing in and out a hundred times. Ex- exactly, passing the gear over. So yeah, yeah. Well, cracking question. Hope no, that, that answered really your good question, question, actually. Because um, yeah, I reckon that's a great question because a lot of a lot of guys do come in. I guess that situation where there's two sides of the coin where some people go, "You fish your own rods and whatever," but I I actually prefer that whoever owns a boat has their rods because they know the rigs are done right and if the if there's a dropped fish, it's on, you know, yeah. skipper. I can't stand that I own this side of the boat and you yeah. own that side of the boat and that. if every fish comes off my side of the boat, I'm winding every fish in shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's just... That's egotistical. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. So moving on. Um, next one we've got on YouTube. So we've got one from Bozuka. Loving the podcast, guys. It's always a good day when you upload. Thanks, mate. Just wondering if you guys reckon that if live baits or my screen's so broken on my phone I can't read. Oh, no, hang on. Yeah, reckon that right if- live baits and snapper can really make a difference or if they eat anything if they're in the mood. Cheers. Um, I think that with our snapper and gummy fishery, it's probably detrimental. Mm. Um. Snapper and gummy is very much a scent fish, so if you have a dead cut bait, they're going to be able to sniff it out a lot easier. Um, right. Live baits often just tangle up everything. They get weight on them and drown and die anyway, and then they're just spinning in the current. So I think a smelly cut bait um, where we are is probably going to be more effective than a live bait. Yeah, um, yep, tend to agree with you there, Dave, but I, can, uh, I do recall one time out... Uh, at the 20 meter mark at Mornington and um, there was snapper on yakkers they're actually like you know beautiful arches under like um, yakkers and I, I had some um, sabikis on board and we were catching li- little yakkers they were the perfect bait size and we're literally just whacking four o hooks through them I don't think we we're even pinning them properly and um, they were they were getting annihilated straight away yeah, well, it's I think one of those um, rare instances where, yeah, maybe a live bait would work, but I, I know we're talking maybe nine times out of ten. I tend to agree with your theory there, Dave. Yeah, well, I think Port Phillips one area where it probably could be effective because there's no current, which means that 
more more effectively have that bait swimming which around means, live for longer. Which means no giant weed yeah. going down your line and drowning your fish. Yep. No. So, yeah, I hope that answers oh, can, your question. I can think of another. Do you guys have seen that famous video, um, Matt Watson in New Zealand, where they put the big live salmon on and the, the snapper just comes in and crunches the <laughs> yeah. the salmon? Like, that's well, a pretty impressive video. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know how applicable that is here because their snapper even seem to be a different genus nearly. They kind of look a bit different to our ones and they seem to eat giant, really big baits. <laughs> yeah, they eat whole albacore as well. <laughs> <laughs> Do they? <laughs> All right, final question. I know we've been running for a while, guys, so sorry about that. But um, final question, and I think we'll probably finish up for the, today's podcast. But uh, Simon Webster has sent us in a question on YouTube as well. Hi boys, as you fished out, uh, fish for swords out of Lakes Entrance, what advice would you give to a novice, uh, to novice fishers wanting to venture out for the first time? How do you prepare for the trip? I, what weather forecasting are you looking at prior? What di- dictates a go or no go on the day out? Uh, we are based in Bansdale, so nice and close, but not used to assessing weather that far out offshore. Any other tips? Greatly appreciated. Cheers, Simon. Adrian. Well. For starters, I start on Medi. Yeah, Medi is the one. Yeah, um, because you can see your offshore predicted winds, I guess. Or windy. And, and you can check the east coast where most of the weather comes from. So you can yeah. see Green Cape and whatever, and if there's wind around that corner, you know you're going to get wind in the afternoon off lakes or whatever. Yeah. So. And it's um, location-based forecasting, so you can see the exact area where you're actually – because you're going 100K offshore yeah. – so you can't trust a shore-based forecast for length entrance because mm. the wind's often often behaving differently there anyway. So you need to look at where you're actually travelling to to get the forecast for there. Um, so Bomb Medi is a really, really good one. Or also there's an app called Windy and I think uh, Windfinder also offers that, um, that s- similar mapping where you can see exactly where the wind's coming from, what direction, yeah. and uh, get a wide view of the area to see what's coming. Yeah, you got me onto windy. It's really, really great. The yeah. imi- the images and the um the color color grades of the the weather forecast. It's good. Yeah. Oh, we're very lucky these days with the weather forecasting we have. Um, but the other thing I do is I make sure there's a a pretty damn good weather window, just yeah. in case that uh, forecasting isn't 100 percent accurate. So I want a pretty big bit of leeway before and after the time I intend to be on the water to make sure I don't get caught by any fronts that come up a bit earlier than they're supposed to. Yeah, that that's great. That's great advice. And um, look, I think with the sword fishing as well, you know, you've for the amount of resources that go into putting your boat in the water and travelling such a far, far distance, you know, that's great. Um, you live in, in Bansdale, it's pro- you know, you, you might be more lucky to go out on a shorter weather window, but most of us travelling up from Victoria, if we're going to throw hundreds of... You um, mean Melbourne? Uh, in Melbourne, hundreds of dollars into the boat. Uh, yeah, we want to fish the full day and get the maximum benefit out of all those resources. Good call. All right. Um, yeah, so the other thing about Lakes Entrance, just to finish on that one, is there's a really notorious bar that you have to go through. Um, so... Definitely get your head around that one before you go through it because there's been a couple of really near calls in the last um, couple of seasons. People who where people haven't completely understood it and they haven't been prepared to turn around when they should have. Especially when you're launching at three in the morning and there's no light. Yeah, People are still just like, I need to get on that shelf 
yeah. first light so I can get the first bite. Pretty silly. And we've we have in the past gone there, looked at the bar and turned around. Yeah. And you've got to be willing to do that because it looks worse when you're in it than what it does when you're looking from afar. So yeah. if it looks gnarly, then you really need to be thinking and about. You, and if you're on the boat looking at it, make sure you turn around well before you actually get sucked in because yeah. that current is ripping through there. Yeah, so um, for that one you want to be looking at the um, the, the local ports website, um, the Gippsland ports, web, ports website that is, which will give you graphs of when uh, slack water is for the uh, for the bar, the entrance there, and it also tell you it will tell you what the current's doing and how quick it's running. Yeah, the the problem is if you've had heavy rainfall, yes, water's always moving out. Doesn't yeah. matter what the tide is, water's always pushing out. Yeah, which we found last year. It was even on an incoming tide, which is normally when you want to be going over that bar. There was so much fresh water pushing out of the system that it was just making the bar pretty impassable. Yeah, through the whole tidal flow. So, yep, get your head around to that one. Um, probably don't cross it in the dark unless the conditions are absolutely primo and you're really confident. And um, be safe. Uh, make sure your boat's up to scratch and carry all the right safety equipment. That would be my tips. Yeah, good, good one. So that's all our questions. Um, I reckon we pick our favourite one. Well, I reckon Ashley Wilson's one was bloody great because yeah, it was good. Yep. Um, that that um, describes two sides of fishermen, I guess, you know, shows two sides and we uh, pick one where we let yeah, other people wind in fish and don't have your own side of the boat, don't have your own rods, but yeah. Yep, I'd agree with that. Yeah, uh, not bandwagoning, but I generally love uh, Ash's question as well because I <laughs> wish I had a dollar for every time I've had somebody bitch to me saying, I took such and such out and they didn't, contribute to a, a trip it, it's it's an unwritten law that <laughs> yeah. is not spoken about not, not nowhere near enough yeah so ash lee ash i'm calling you ash because we're good mates um i'll shoot you a message and we'll get your clothing size and we'll put a pack together and send it out to you so thanks so much for writing in thanks everyone who does write in and uh keep them coming because we've got more stuff to give away Yep. And if you want to, as Adrian said at the start of the show, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It helps us out massively. Smash and that like button. Oh, wait. Um, I've got a pre-recorded thing, so I just ruined it, didn't I? No, it's all right. Yeah, we'll do it anyway. Anyway, thanks, guys. That's another week done and dusted. Thanks, guys, for listening. Merry Christmas. What's up, you bloody legends? Thanks for listening to Wind Against Tide again. That's it for another episode. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, You'd be doing us a massive favour. Thanks, guys. Stuff you, Brendan Wing, you beeping wanker.